0: Good morning. morning. I'm reading from Malachi 3, 1 through 5. See, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and a launderer's launderer's bleach. He will be like a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in days of old and years gone by. I will come to you in judgment, and I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker, the widow and the fatherless, and against those who deny justice to the resident alien. They do not fear me, says the Lord of Armies. And now from Luke 3, 1 through 6, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee. His brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. (laughs) During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all of the vicinity of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight. The rough way smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God.
1: So she asked me how you pronounce those words. I said, you just you say it with confidence, and it don't matter. Uh, <laughs> as long as you just not you know, what, what they're going to say. It's not said like that. I mean, let's be real. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's how I wrote it. Like, how you say it? I mean, anyway, anyway, I don't know how to say a lot, but you just say it with confidence. And they're like, he must know what he's talking about. That's probably I shouldn't say that before I preach. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we're going to uh, primarily be in, uh, in Luke 3. So that's where we're primarily be. But We're going to look going to bring some of that in from from Malachi. Uh, you'll, you'll see kind of two themes and both of that, both of those passage passages. And the theme is preparation. Preparation. Now, I know a lot of y'all are shopping for Christmas, trying to get ready for that day, you know, uh, making sure you got all the gifts for the people that you love. Um, But it's interesting that uh, this scripture describes the type of preparation that is necessary for the coming of the Lord. And the type of necessary that is the type of preparation that is necessary for the coming of the Lord is repentance. It's repentance. And repentance leads to the joy of the Lord's forgiveness and his healing presence. So in this time of Advent, which means coming, we're preparing to celebrate the coming of the Lord and the preparation that the Lord would have for us is not necessarily to buy expensive presents, although you can do that, but the preparation the Lord requires is a heart of repentance. Let's ask the Lord to help. Father, I pray that you would speak through your word today. Lord God, that you would encourage your people that you would instruct us in the ways of righteousness and holiness. And Lord, that by the spirit, we would have ears to hear what you are saying and we would seek to obey. Lord, we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So in that passage with all the weird names, that, that actually has some significance. And the significance is this, that the wrongs of this world will not stop God's plan. Look, I'm about to read that passage. I'm going to just say what I want to say. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of the region of Uteria and Tractonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So this list of rulers is not an arbitrary list. This is a list of rulers that are oppressing Israel. It's a list of rulers that are oppressing God's people. Uh, the, the names in this list, they're either Uh, conquerors coming from outside to conquer the land and maintain control, or they're Israelites that are just puppets for the ones who have come to take control and oppress Israel. And what we learn is that even in the midst of wicked rulers, in the midst of times where there is oppression and compromise, God's word still comes through. Even in the middle of times like that. And so you can look at, like, I'm not going to tell you all about everyone, but think about Pontius Pilate. We say his name every week. I don't know if you know that, but he was the, the Roman governor of Judea, and he was remembered as a notorious anti-Semite. He, he hated Jewish people, and he oversaw the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That was the governor. And there's that guy named Herod. And the story about Herod is this man stole his sister's wife, And he was the one who mocked Jesus at his trial. These are not upright individuals who have authority in the land. Yet nonetheless, that did not stop God's word from coming to God's people. We can see these these, these people, the the Annas and Caiaphas. Who are those people? They are Roman-appointed Jewish high priests. And if you pay attention to the story of the Scripture, these are the leaders of the religious council That plan to kill Jesus. These are the people whom really their loyalty kind of lied with Rome. They kind of lied with the enemy of God's people because they were appointed by them. And I can think about things that can dishearten us now. Certainly, there are times when you feel sinned against, or when people that you love feel sinned against. And even there are disappointments in the church, yeah? Sometimes there are hypocritical leaders who will disappoint us. There's grudges and and backbiting. Even in times like that, beloved, God's word can still come through. The word of God still comes in the mess of this life. In the middle of oppression, sinful actions, and religious hypocrisy, God sends his word. Now, what's interesting about the message of John the Baptist is he certainly could have said a lot about those leaders, right? He could have said a lot about Herod and Pontius Pilate and and, and Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar. He could have said a lot about those. But what's interesting is that that God's instruction of repentance is directed first to his people, even with the conquerors and puppets still in place. That the words of repentance are directed first to his own people. So when you look at the world and the world is looking crazy and you're like, why are they doing that? And look at what he's doing. And she said this, that, and the other. Repentance does not start with them. It starts with you. Repentance starts with God's people. I know that some of you are having hard times. You need to remember that God speaks his powerful word in the midst of hard times. God can encourage and strengthen you. And listen to this. Those rulers, they were, that was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Those were the same rulers at the end. God can encourage and strengthen you even if the situation does not change that there is nobody in power nobody who is against you that can frustrate the plans of our god in fact when i think about my life some of the times that i have felt god's word most powerfully have been times when i have felt Oppressed, And when I felt like I'm going through stuff, I've talked to y'all about this before, but I went through a two-year depression, and I don't want to go back, but I remember that God's Word spoke to me. I, I felt the love of God in such a unique way, even though my circumstances were frustrating. If that's you this morning, if you are frustrated and struggling, know that God can speak to you. Now, we've got to ask our question, uh, who who is this John? Who is is this John the Baptist? The Scriptures say that he was miraculously conceived by his parents in their old age, and he, in fact, was Jesus' cousin. All right? And he not only is that, he is the promised forerunner of God's Messiah. Now, if you think back to that that verse in Malachi that was read, that that Malachi 3.1, it says, See, I am going to send my messenger... And he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you will seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord. It's really funny. He says, I got this messenger, he's gonna fix stuff, right? But before that messenger comes, I'm gonna send another messenger to get you, you ready. And what's interesting is that important people have others go before them, right? There's like security for high-ranking politicians, and they go to the the location of where the politician is going to go to get it ready, to make sure that it's ready. Or even when you go to a concert, there usually is an opener. You know, when, when, when somebody is important and significant, there is one who comes before them to make sure that you got your mind right and that the place is prepared. And God prepared a messenger, John the Baptist, to go before and get people ready. Now, what's interesting is that John the Baptist has some training. He has some some training to get himself ready for this role. Back in Luke 1, verse 80, it talks about John the Baptist. It says, the child, John the Baptist, the child grew up and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So John the Baptist is miraculously conceived. He gets raised a little bit, but then as a child, and this has got to be kind of strange, right? As a child, he just goes out into the wilderness, and he's just there. He's in the wilderness until the day of his ministry. Now, the wilderness, it means the deserted place, the solitary place, the lonely place, or the quiet place. What's interesting is that to prepare for this major job, to prepare for the coming of Jesus... John had to go to the wilderness, and the wilderness was a place of self-examination and encounter with God. John spent years alone with God in the wilderness, and God used this time powerfully to prepare him for the message that he had to preach. Matter of fact, it's it's kind of a a trend that the folks that God uses, he he takes them and says, you need to be alone with me for a while. The folks that God uses powerfully, they've had some extended time with the Lord. You know, King David, the the best king of Israel, he, he explained what his top desire was in Psalm 27. He says, I've asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and in his temple. David said, the thing that I want the most, I want to go be with God. Now, this man who said, the thing that I want to, the most is to be in God's presence. He is the king that was used most powerfully by God. See, when you spend time alone with God, he assures you of his love. He reminds you of his loving kindness. That's That word refers to his covenant love. We have a very cheap view of love. We think love is, is about a, a gushy emotion. But loving kindness means I, I'm going to love you. I'm committed to love you. I ain't leaving you. And when you spend time with God, God says, I'm not leaving you. I'm I'm going to be right here with you. Scripture says in Romans 5 that, that God pours his love in your heart through the Holy Spirit. So that when you're with the Lord in prayer, when you're spending time with the Lord, God the Spirit is pouring out the love of Christ in your heart. See, this love of God, this loving kindness, this commitment love, that is what sustains us in hard times. So John the Baptist is in the wilderness, and I'm confident that the God of loving kindness is pouring out his loving kindness. And yet at the same time, spending time with God convicts us of sin. There's this, in Psalm 73, it's a, a Psalms are like a song, they're a prayer. He's explaining all of his frustration. He's like, I see the rich people, they don't care about you, they got all this stuff, and what do I got? He's just complaining for like 20 verses about how his life isn't fair. And then in verse 22, he says, I was actually stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal towards you. He said, I've been in your presence. I poured out my heart, but I was wrong to question you in this way. When he was in God's presence, God uh, revealed his flaws and his misunderstandings. He, he shows you your flaws and he cleanses you. So what was John the Baptist doing in the wilderness? He was spending time with the Lord to prepare for this role. And when he came out, he had this message to preach. Verse 3 said, he went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In other words, in other words, John emerged from the wilderness with clarity about his calling and the message that he had. He said, listen, listen, what you need to do to prepare for the Messiah is that you need to repent. And this baptism symbolizes the repentance that you need. You need to look at your life and the morality of your life and it's dirty, but you need to cleanse it. You need to come to the Lord so he can clean you and he will forgive you. See, John emerged from the wilderness with such a clarity. Listen, he spoke with such power that people came from all around to hear what he had to say. And the only clue we have from what he was doing is that he spent time in the wilderness. That when he was with God, he had clarity. When he was with God, he knew what he should say. And I would venture to say that we need clarity too, yeah? Anybody here need some clarity? That means we need to make it a priority to spend time with God. Those wondering what to do next, what, how to do, which path should I take? Maybe there's a fork in a road or maybe it's like five forks in a road. You're like, what should I do? The message we have from the scripture is that we spend time with the Lord. We find out who we are in God's presence. See, John had a confidence, I've come here to proclaim this repentance because there is one who is greater than I, and I can't even tie his shoes. He had such a clarity about what the Lord called him to do because he had spent years alone with God. And John preached this repentance. And and repentance refers to a deeply seated and thorough turning from self to God, It occurs when a radical turning to God takes place, an experience in which God is recognized as the most important fact of one's existence. In other words, the call to repentance is a call to absolute surrender to the purposes of God and to live in this awareness. I think a lot of times repentance, it sounds to our ears as a dirty word, Because we don't want to admit our faults and and we we don't want to change our ways. But, But beloved, God rewards this repentance with his presence, his benevolent presence, his loving presence, his righteous presence. He comes to bless those who would repent. It's funny that, that, that the summary of John the Baptist and Jesus' message is the same. John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming. And Jesus said, repent because the kingdom is here. If you want to experience this place where God's rule is evident, the route to get there is repentance, an honest assessment about where your heart is and saying, God, I know that I have flaws and I know that I have dirt. Lord, would you forgive me and would you cleanse me? In other words, we have to repent because we are the ones blocking the way of the Lord. In verse 4, when it's prophesying about John, it says, As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight, the rough ways smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of the Lord of God. Now, now let's just let's be real for a minute. Do, do you think God can't walk over a mountain or go through a valley? He's not literally talking about actual mountains and valleys. It's actually talking about the, the crookedness of our own hearts. When, when, when there, There's this, this church father named Gregory the Great. Now, I don't know how you get the great after your name. That's pretty legit. And what he said about this passage, he says, the crooked places are become straight When the hearts of the wicked, perverted by a course of injustice, are directed to the rule of justice. The rough ways are changed to smooth when fierce and savage dispositions were turned to gentleness and meekness. In other words, these are the the crooked ways, the mountains and the valleys are the, the heights of our pride and the depths of our sin. See, our salvation, it was blocked by sin and Satan. We have been deceived by the tempter who says the way of sin is better than the way of God. And we have clung to sin instead of Christ. And it's we who obstruct the way of the Lord. And see, we have to acknowledge this. And that is repentance. That is what it is. You know, they, now listen, now remember the, the whole long list of names that was hard to pronounce. There's a lot of people they could blame for the jacked upness of the world, right? Well, what about, what about him? What about Herod and took his this person's wife? And what about Pontius Pilate? What about all of that? No, no, he says, you, you repent. I know there's other people doing da-da-da-da-da, but you, you repent. See, Christ, he, he comes to make the crooked path straight. In, in this message of repentance, uh, you know, we're not met with, with more groveling. We're, we're met with salvation. When we, when we fess up and say, Lord, I'm wrong. I have been the one blocking what you have doing. Jesus comes and he provides his salvation. Now, you know, sometimes I say theological words. We're going to have a little review. I want you to say this. Justification. 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 It's a a beautiful word, but it's a beautiful, it's, 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 listen, it's our declared righteousness before God made possible by Christ's death and resurrection. In other words, Jesus Christ was our substitute, that in the crooked mess of our sin, Jesus Christ gets on the cross and he dies in our place. He takes the consequences of our sin. And not only that, I want you to this, this another word, you ready? Say imputation. Imputation. This is a very important word, y'all. What imputation talks about is that the perfect life that Jesus lived, his perfect record is applied to those who believe in him. So Christ deals with our record of wrong. But he also does something else. Say this word: sanctification. It's our gradual, growing righteousness made possible by the Spirit's work in us. So he takes care of our past sin. But, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like, I know the right way, but I real struggle. I'm struggling to do the right thing, right? I know which way to do it. I, can I get some help? And Jesus says, I have forgiven your past sins and I can do some change in your heart so that you can seek to walk righteously. I want you to understand something. The, the, the Bible talks about sin in, in two primary ways. The first way is, is that it's, a, it's an infraction. It's a breaking of the law, right? They're, they're like, we've done something wrong. There's a punishment to come. But there's another way that the Bible talks about sin, and it talks about sin as a sickness, something that, that kind of infects you. Now, now, I, I, I know I'm not the only one who has felt this feeling that when I've sinned, I go, why in the world did I just do? I know I'm not the only one that go, oh, man, dog, I didn't even I didn't wake up today wanting to do that. But I found myself doing that and I don't want to do, do it tomorrow, but I might because there's something wrong with me. That, that, that so so Jesus comes to deal with the infraction, but then Jesus, in His resurrected, uh, glorified body, sends the Spirit, and He produces healing and growth in our hearts. This is the compassion of Christ, and this is what our repentance is met with. Beloved, when you repent, he says, all that past stuff, I've dealt with it. And when you repent, he says, listen, I'm going to do some healing in your soul so that you don't keep putting up these mountains and sinking into these valleys. This is the message that Christ has come in response to our repentance. So in preparation for his coming, we repent. You know, there's, there's that converting repentance. Now, There's some of you that, that might not have ever repented before. And you're like, what is, what is necessary for me to do that? And when Jesus' sermon that's recorded in Matthew chapter 5, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is like you can look at the, like your spiritual bank account, right? And you're like, ain't no money in there. I, I ain't put nothing in there. In fact, I might be in a deficit. You know, I'm going to get some overdrive fees, all right? You look at your spiritual bank account, and it's not looking so good. But if you say, Jesus, my spiritual bank account is dry, and I need your help. He says, you, you are the one that's blessed because I will give you access to my kingdom. Beloved, that's repentance, being honest about your bankruptcy. I don't, I don't have it, Lord. He doesn't say, go get it. He says, I'm going to provide it for you. And not only is there that initial converting repentance, there's this ongoing repentance. Now, y'all know I'm a church history. you know, you got this right there. You ever heard of something called the 95 Theses? Some of y'all did. There's a dude named Martin Luther, and he, he, he nailed these 95 Theses to the door of, of the church. And, and the first Theses is this. It says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So you don't just repent one time. Now, the first time is important, yeah, but it's not just one time. Listen, it is a continual, honest assessment of where you are at spiritually. Now, that sounds like a life that's full of like, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. But beloved, when we repent, we get his forgiveness. Yeah? When we repent, we get his joy. When we repent, we get continual transformation. See, the, the honest assessment of the state of our heart is not met with do better. It's met with forgiveness and healing. You know, it's, it's interesting as we think about the coming of the Lord, his, his, his coming and dwelling in flesh and his, his death on the cross and his resurrection. I, I, I love the story, but what's so beautiful about this story is that it's a story that happens in our lives, that Jesus did come but he comes in the hearts of those who repent. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I want to see the Lord. I want to be in his presence. I need his power in my life. I need his help from me and those around me. I want to see, I want to see a powerful work done in my community. I need his presence. So how do I prepare the way? I repent. I live a life of self-examination and say, Lord, if there's anything in me that displeases you, please take care of it. Now, this means that we live a life that kind of looks like John the Baptist at times, where we go off into the wilderness sometimes, that we have a discipline of silence and solitude. See, listen, when you're in this life, you hear a lot of stuff talking to you, and it's real easy to ignore your own spiritual state. Yeah? Yeah? You go from this task to this task to this task. You go to one thing from another, and then she says something, and he says something, and then you watch the TV, and then you go to sleep. I right, listen, it's real easy to get distracted, but we need intentional time to be quiet and to be alone with God. Listen to this quote from a guy named Henry Now and it says, Without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside time to be with God and listen to Him. Beloved, I, I, just, I, I want the presence of Christ. I need Him. And if me being alone with Him is what requires that, then, then I need to do it. And so do you. So what does that look like? I, I, I don't like when people tell me to do a thing and they don't tell me how to do the thing. You've been there? So Okay, I'm going to just give you some examples, okay? So like when you set some time aside to be with the Lord, what is it that you do? <laughs> well, what I would suggest is that you would incorporate a slow reading of the Scripture. Now, listen, I know, have you ever, you like, I got to read this chapter, and you read it, and you're like, I did it, and you move on? Okay, come on. Uh, that's just me. Okay, whatever. Um, so listen, but no, no, when we have some time where we set aside and, we're, and we slow our minds and our hearts down and we ponder over the text, we think I, this morning, I was, I was reading Psalm 25, and, and this one verse just stuck out to me. The Lord is good and upright, therefore he shows sinners the way. Now, I would expect the verse to say the Lord is good and upright, so get your stuff together. <laughs> now the Lord is good and upright. And I just had to pause there for a minute. I'm like, Lord, even when I'm sinning, even when I'm messing up, you still will show the way? Even even when, when I have deliberately done something wrong, you're still kind and upright and just that you would show me the way. And as you linger and ponder the text, God speaks to you, and his presence is real to you. And not only a slow reading, but but a slow praying. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever been there. You had a couple of things you prayed for. You it's a God, can I get da-da-da-da-da? And you're like, I'm done. And then I, you know you move on, right? No, no, we have a slow praying. You know, as, as I was thinking of that same text, the Lord is good and upright, therefore he shows sinners the way. I, I thought about people who were walking with Christ and that I know and who have fallen away, and I said, there's hope for them. Lord, you, you're good and upright. You show sinners the way. Help him. Help her out They're in my, The picture is in my mind. Lord, would you show them the way? We live in a world that is so rushed. But we will not be prepared if we don't slow down and be present with the Lord. Some of y'all might be struggling with prayer. I I told you I'm going to get practical, okay? You're like really struggling with prayer. Why don't you add a worship song in there? As you're praying, one of my favorite songs is, is Great Is Your Faithfulness. And I, Great Is Your Faithfulness, There's No Shadow changing with you. And I just begin to meditate. No, he's always the same. He is going to stay with me, not because I am faithful, because he is faithful. And when you spend time with the Lord, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction. He will show you areas of repentance. He loving you shows you errors not to push you down, but to bring you healing. And he encourages you and heals you with love. In Ephesians 3.19 it says, it says, Paul's praying for the church. He says, I pray that you know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. So that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's what's waiting for you. That's, that's where the Lord meets you with his love that surpasses knowledge. It's not that you just intellectually know that he loves you. But the spirit pours the love of God in your heart. And so, beloved, as we think about this season of preparing for Christ's coming, let's take a cue from the forerunner, John the Baptist, and let's have self-examination. Let's say, Lord, if there is any way that is wrong in me, Lord, would you forgive me and would you fix it? And we have this promise that Christ meets us in our repentance to give forgiveness and healing. Let's be people of repentance because we want to see Christ continually come to us and to those around us. And all I got left to say is glory to the one who meets repentance with forgiveness and healing now and forever. Lord, we thank you so much that you are kind enough to show our errors to us and you're kind enough not to just push us down with them but you forgive us and you heal us. Lord, I know your word says that when Christ comes back, he's coming back for a pure bride, for a holy church. So Lord, let us be people who walk in holiness and humility, people who take time to be with you because your presence is good and it is sweet. Yeah, Lord, please, Lord, draw near to us. I pray that you would assist every person under the sound of my voice to make tangible efforts to be with you more, not as a checking of the box, but as a preparation to experience your love and peace. It's in Jesus' name, amen, amen.